it is too hot. I just walked my dog. I feel like I'm going to die. I just want to know if we're going to play baseball or not. Let's run the music. It is Tuesday, July 7th. The year is 2020. This is Underdogs. David, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm okay. Feel uh, feel like it's a bit weird energy. I got to start serving tables tonight to make some money. I'm a bit nervous that I'm going to die. Um, it's hotter than a croc's tongue in my apartment right now. So uh, I'm just like in one of those moods you know a little bit just a little bit kind of cranky but also anxious but also fine you know i'm fine how are you yeah similar you know we had we had uh scheduling moving around all sorts of different things it is super hot it's it's easy to get stressed i gotta go to the dentist later today you know all the all the good stuff that we're just gonna let roll off our backs as we get into today's topics sports and mysteries and elephants dying in africa man there's nothing worse than i don't even know (laughs) i didn't hear anything about elephants dying in africa but i'm sure it's true uh there's nothing worse than the dentist nothing as soon as you walk into that office it's like 300 dollars falls out of your pocket there's just no cheap way I had I went into the dentist last week. This guy lifted up my lip for two seconds, and I gave him two hundred dollars. And he said there was a seventy percent chance he could help me for eleven hundred more. I had this thought too right before I got my wisdom teeth out a couple of weeks ago. It's like this feeling that I have of stress and anxiety and horror or fear. It's like it's very similar to how I feel before an audition, especially an important audition. I'm like, what does that say about my profession and the things that I apparently enjoy doing? <laughs> No, but it's not. But your profession isn't auditioning. You know what I mean? That's way different. Your profession isn't walking to this room where people sort of don't give you the time of day. You have a reader who just puts their head down and stares at a page and you reveal yourself for three minutes and then you're asked to leave. That's not that's not when you were a kid and you were like, man, I want to be an actor. I can't wait to walk into a room and be exposed and rejected all day long. Like that's not that's just a part of the shitty end of being an actor yeah you're right about that um so we did we skipped over it yesterday tell me tell me the update over the weekend of what happened with the with uh david's teenage neighbors throwing shit on his deck oh man these teenagers i can't tell what the deal is so i woke up on saturday and what they had thrown up was a few hollowed out cigarettes like cigarettes with the tobacco scooped out of them and a couple plastic bottles And I'm in like an anxious fit about it. But the weirder thing was that night at about 5 a.m., my doorbell rings. And I'm in a sleep, so I wake up and I'm like, did I just hear the doorbell ring? And I'm pretty sure I did, but I can't be certain. So I kind of nervously go back to sleep, can't really sleep because my heart's racing a little bit. Because nobody rings your doorbell at 5 a.m., innocently you know what i mean and so when i woke up later i asked the the lady who lives below me 
did you hear the doorbell go off? And she was like, yeah, I heard the doorbell go off. And then I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, these teenagers are ramping it up. Not only are they chucking shit on my deck, but now they're fucking with me on a different level. They're coming around the front. They're hitting me from the back and the front at the same time. But then my landlord sends me this email that says, on a Facebook group, there's a neighborhood watch for a gentleman who's going around ringing people's doorbells and asking for people with strange names who don't live there. And that's way more terrifying than garbage on my deck. I, that, that to me, ter- because that'd be one thing if he did that at like 2 p.m., 3 p.m., you could be like, hey man, go away. 5 a.m., just like not bringing the doorbell going down, is Penelope home? Like, oh fuck, no, go away. Yeah, and you've just like, really fumbled trying to put some pants on or something over your body just to feel like yeah in case you get into a fight you're not that exposed oh there's no way i'm answering that door without a kitchen knife you know what i mean like i'm bringing something down to the door no you don't answer the door at 5 a.m somebody rings your door and also like my door is like on the street i don't have a front yard i don't have a stoop it's door street so it's really the the security level at my place is low did she give any update on or any further information of what his game plan is past asking for the wrong person? Like, does he then be like, oh, well, all right then. You have a great 5 a.m. I'm off now. <laughs> My mistake. I guess Penelope <laughs> lives down the street. Yeah, I'll talk to you again. What's his angle here? Know. But I mean, I guess he just goes away because these people have been able to talk about it on their Facebook group, so they're not dead. And, right. you know, they didn't say, like, look out and bar all your doors <laughs> because he's got multiple weapons. Right. He's just, he just doesn't know where his friend lives. Well, he asks for different Trying names, everywhere. apparently. He asks for different names, which would be different if he asked for the same name. You'd be like, oh, that's, you know, that's maybe sad. he's in a, you know, like a mild psychosis or something like that. And he's just so confused about something. But asking for different, I mean, he's probably still in a mild psychosis to some degree asking for these different names. But uh, it's, it's just scary. I just find that really unsettling. Do you hear that? Something spooky. (laughs) You know what that means, David. It's time for Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, They kind of picked it up with this episode. I was ready to, uh, I started having fun trash in the show. And I do think there's a little bit of a trash element, but um, it's, it's rebounded well from that last episode. It definitely got a lot better. I had a, I had a tough go at it to start because, um, I had ordered sushi last night, and as you might be able to imagine, maybe not, but eating sushi and watching something with subtitles is not an easy task, you know? Yeah, you got to eat with your eyes up and your face up. Yeah, and like I'm on the couch too. I'm not even at my table, so like you got to be worried that you might get a drip of of soy sauce on your couch or something like you. And and I'd look away for like two seconds just to to dip a sushi in in the soy sauce, and all of a sudden I'm like, what? He's the count? Who count of what? Who is this guy? What is going on? Um. I had to rewind like 10 times during the whole episode because it's not, I wasn't eating anything. I was staring right down the box, <laughs> but my mind, my mind was just wandering. And then uh, you'd realize that you hadn't read anything. And then all of a sudden, uh, some sort of plot twist happened. And you're like, what? It was his son or he has two sons or their bodies are under the deck. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, 
for me, it's weird with these shows when they say this man murders his family, he bags them up and puts them in a, a pit under his veranda in his house. He kills his family with sleeping pills and rifle and a rifle, so he's shooting them and just. Oh, there's there's no blood. There's no remnants of anything. There's no uh, signs of struggle. There's no DNA on anybody. It's like he's not fucking Dracula. He's Dexter. You know, like he, he put up, <laughs> set up the like plastic rooms or something. Uh, plastic garbage bags all around the room. Shot them like bloodletted them. And at least it does seem sort of mysterious. I do still have a problem generally with the show because, you know. The way they build the show, the the amount of time that they stretch things out, and you're like, okay, from the start, obviously we haven't solved something here. So you start going along, and they start explaining what happened, and then the father's not there, and you're like, well, obviously it's the father, right? And then and then you like question, like, oh fuck, well maybe it wasn't the father. Maybe someone framed the father perfectly, and like everyone, the killer knew that they'd only look for the father if they killed all of them, put them in the same place, and then killed the father somewhere else. It's like, okay, cool, that's cool. No, obviously it's obviously it's the father. And then and then there's amazing line from from the defense attorney. Oh well, he had a bad back, and it would be physically <laughs> so impossible for him to dig those bodies <laughs> and put them under the terrace. I know. I love that they just read so much into a passing comment that this dad had made previously. Like, I got a pretty bad back. It's tough for me to bend over. And it's like, okay, so now I know it was impossible for you to physically carry your family. impossible? No way. <laughs> like, is that? Really, what you relied on is that why you didn't find any DNA? Because you didn't look; you just knew it was it couldn't be him. <laughs> <laughs> just the way that they present the facts, they put so much doubt. I guess they have to in order to to expand it to fifty minutes to an hour. It's just but it's like you said; it sucks when it's obvious who it is right away, and your mind is expecting some twist that compromises that, or that surprises you, or makes you question it. But, but then the show keeps going you're like no no it's the dad and no he got away and there he goes and we'll never know another problem i had with the the way that they explained it you know that woman i i, I again i was missing the first couple of minutes so i don't even know who some of these people are who are telling the story but maybe she was <laughs> a reporter but just the woman who knew everything she starts talking about the timeline after the father has gone on the run and like stopping at each stop and then explains what the police were thinking at each stop. And because of the tense, maybe it's lost in translation or something here, but it made it seem like the police were just like watching on a TV, like every stop he <laughs> went and was like, Ooh, this seems like he's doing a, he's going through all the good parts of his life. He's going all the way down South. And at the end where, where he had a great time, he's going to kill himself. But they never explained that this was like, they put this together well after the fact he was already at the last spot i'm guessing i hope that they didn't just like l watch his trail and not intervene and go get him 
Yeah, and there's that moment where he looks up at the security camera and kind of like says hello, like he he wants to be seen. But again, and, they didn't show us that. They described that, and then they had. Oh a yeah, that's true. That was a reenactment. <laughs> Why yeah, can't we see that reenactment where the director's like, "Hey man, just walk, turn around, and give a little eerie hello to the security <laughs> camera." You know, in no way that a human would ever do that ever. It's gonna feel really unnatural and unrealistic but i promise you from our side from the camera side it looks normal okay we're gonna just put music us. over it we're gonna have a grainy quality over the video just do it just please just get he it he did done. it just like that honestly i'm an english director i haven't understood a fucking word anyone has said to me during the <laughs> recording of this and i'm just hoping this piece is together i am taking shots in the dark with this one so let's get the day over it's it's like they have to when they do the interviews they're like all right we know it was him. Tell me all the reasons that it might not be, even though you know for <laughs> sure it is. Like his friend Al Pacino with the long hair, is like best friend. <laughs> it's like, he is my best friend. He could not have done this. I know for Even at the end, he was like, because we're still friends, I want to know how he looks himself in the mirror. It's yeah. like, wait, 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 wait. Did you say still friends? Can we get a better translation? I just want to know if uh, Dracula's sidekick here said still friends after he knows that he decimated his entire family and hid them under his deck and then took off into nowhere. And the dogs, man. Did you have to do the oh, dogs? Oh, yeah, I know. That was really killed me too, man. I almost got... I bet it's... You know, and I bet he doesn't even want to kill the dogs, but he knows that they'll probably start barking or something like that, and so he has to. I actually oh. wonder if that wasn't the hardest part for him. Just two beautiful, look like black labs or something like that. Ugh. Really pretty dogs. How do you get the bodies down there without someone noticing that at any time of the day? Isn't there no security cameras on the street? This is like 2011. This isn't like, you know, back in the 40s. It looks like the backyard, they have pretty high walls, you know, because the wall goes above where the deck is. I can't is. look at pictures when I'm reading subtitles. Did you notice that? I didn't notice that. I feel like I was reading a novel. I think I noticed that. I'm not, I'm not certain of that, but... Uh... Wow. I mean, you have to, uh, my theory is that he didn't just find the gun and that he did find some sort of money because he did this masterful job. Like, I got to give credit to him. First off, like, this is an incredible series of murders that he's gotten away with and, and, and escaped. I don't think, I don't think he's dead. I yeah, don't the, think the point of the story where he doesn't find money and he's like, huh. No money, but wait a minute, a rifle. Why don't we change up the idea yeah. and use the rifle instead of the money to kill everyone? Everything's coming up, Count Xavier, now that I've found this <laughs> rifle. Now I'm going to go learn how to use this rifle. Like, you could have just... Why did it have to be getting the rifle that sets the plan? I know. It's not the, it's not the only... It's not the only rifle in the world. It's not like the discovery of a rifle. Like, what is this odd contraption? Yeah. What does this little sticky thing do? Pew, pew. Wow. Too loud. I Can I idea. make it quieter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so bored. Let me sit down and watch this show. What is this? Dexter. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, my theory is that his dad did have some money. And that's what he's living off of now. Because how did they not figure out, surely he had to move some money around, build up a cash, 
a, a cache of cash somewhere. Otherwise, could... it doesn't make any sense. Like, what, what was he doing? He had no money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't do you, understand. Do you think someone was, like, was watching this episode and just, like, looking over at the guy they've been dating for the past, like, oh, man. two years? <laughs> <laughs> I know oh, that he looks like everybody, but it looks an awful lot like Olaf over here. Well, it's funny when they said that, too. Like, ah, you just, there's nothing you can do when somebody looks like everyone. <laughs> and then they show his face, and it's like, I don't, he looks like, get a lot of discernible features. And he does look like someone I've never seen before. So... I, I definitely, if I'm watching this, would be like, uh, Gary, is this you? <laughs> Looks an awful lot like Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> Don't you think? It's like either Count Xavier or Zinedine Zidane. I mean, maybe I maybe in I France a, everyone I, looks like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, Zinedine Zidane's the dude who head-butted the guy in soccer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. I knew the name was familiar. Yeah, yeah, he does sort of look like him. <laughs> I don't know. That episode was a little bit better, but if they make me read again, I'm turning it off. It's not worth it. I'm, well, I'll keep watching it as long as it's better than the second episode. I, I think you were right. Like It was like a season 10 episode, except for they only made six episodes in season one, and they just had to hide. They just had to hide episode two in between episode one, which I guess they think is amazing. Maybe their best, their lead off episode. They, they must think episode one's amazing, but they also, they also couldn't lead off with a subtitled episode because people would watch the show and be like, ah, oh, is this what it's like every time? Right, 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 right. And I they, had, they kind of had to hold off. Yeah, totally. You had to hold off on the subtitles for kind of as, as long as you could, but it does make you wonder like what other episodes they have and how bad it's going to get from here on out. Apparently, there's a UFO one coming up. That's all I want. I just want fucking supernatural shit. Yeah, but so far, none of it's supernatural, so it's going to be a weird shift to be like, okay, but I don't necessarily believe in that stuff, and everything else has been plausible kind of just crime so far i just want some old man to just kind of look into the lens and say and then i saw a figure a figure that didn't look human and i'm good i'll be like great yes this is why i watch this show Uh, i will go back on that i do believe in aliens and ufos and all that so i'm i'm just i don't want that to be out there in the world that i don't because i do (laughs) i identify as somebody who believes in aliens and ufos I do. I really do. You know what I was thinking about the uh, sports coming back and no fans being there and how awkward that it might be when you can hear what umpires say and what players say that they're just that we just take for granted that they're talking all the time. They're yelling all the time and there's going to be so many you know, uncomfortable moments. Like how many Kevin Pillar circa 2017 moments are going to slip out of these players' mouths? Because if you think Kevin Pillar is the only player who has uh, that vocabulary in his mouth in Major League Baseball, you're dead wrong. Yeah. They're going to all be on their best behavior, I'm guessing. Yeah, but that's going to be so hard. Heat of the moment. Think about, you know what it reminded me of when we were doing, uh, Jacob and I did a production of uh, Romeo and Juliet outside where we had these mics on and when you're on stage obviously the mic's on because the audience has to hear you but when you go backstage you're supposed to cut the mic and it just reminded me of these times when you know I'd be out there (laughs) being like 
and Juliet, my heart is with thee, and I shall follow thee into the river and the moon, and we shall be together forever in whatever land that we may find. And then I'd go backstage and be like, this fucking mic is falling off my fucking neck. My fucking sweat is dripping, and if it doesn't stay on my fucking face, I'm not doing this fucking shit anymore. And it's just going to be like versions of that in the big leagues where you just get these like little behind-the-scenes snippets. Because I remember there was times even when we were doing that play where they didn't cut the mics properly and you'd hear people talking backstage or like you'd hear. So there's definitely going to be shit. They, they've probably already trained for that in Tampa Bay, right? Like they have to, when you get drafted there, be like, listen, you got to start training now. <laughs> when you come into the trap, anyone can hear everything you say. So just be real careful. All right, guys. That's why I thought it was so great that the Jays get to start their season in Tropicana Field because just like business as usual there, there's never anybody there. And so it's like, it's just a normal away game at Tropicana Field. It seems like it's a disaster already. I don't know how uh, how much you've read or been hearing or watching like the testing oh, disaster that's happening now. It oh, sounds awful. my God. These guys aren't getting results for nine days. So you've got nine a nine-day window where you could have, be in, have, have an infection that you're giving to every other person. That's terrible. They don't have enough PPE. It, yeah. They're not ready for it at all. MLB looks it's it's a fucking disaster. It's been a disaster in the MLB basically since the Astro scandal till now. What I still am pissed off about too, and and maybe I just read it in like kind of a snarky way in my mind, but when... It felt like the owners and Rob Manfred like challenged the players. They were like, "Well, will you be ready by July first? Can you can you report by July first? And and that was like the final thing. And then the players were like, "Yeah, all right, we'll we'll be there July first. You know, like like the owners were the ones that set the timeline, and then they're not ready with their side of the story. They're like, "What what, what the fuck? It's so they're annoying. Not even close, man." And, and it's like now you've got all these players vocalizing that they don't feel safe playing. They're all on the fence being like, I don't know if I'm going to play. I don't feel like Chris Bryant yesterday says, I don't, I came here because I thought I'd feel safe and comfortable. That's exactly what I feel right now. And so it just, as a fan, it's hard to get excited. He's, he's like, you know, we came out here under the impression guys were going to be tested every other, day, every other day. And meanwhile, there are guys who are here and got tested last Sunday and then have not been tested again yet or are being tested tomorrow and then not getting results for two days after that. So we're going nine days without us knowing if someone has COVID. And this is the easy part here. You know, we're not even on the road yet. We're not going to hotels and having room service and, and, uh, expecting hoping that the players on the and the away teams are following the rules you know like this is the easy part and you guys are fucking it up and yeah i don't feel comfortable about the situation and you can't rely on these temperature checks with a bunch of young athletes like they might not it, the virus might not affect them to a degree where it raises their temperature to an unhealthy level they might just be a bunch of asymptomatic carriers but if that spreads like wildfire through the league they're going to have to shut it down because players just won't players won't play and then you're going to have all these surly players who can't be around their families and they can't be around their kids and they're just pent up playing for uh, a league that they're extremely uh angry at frustrated at and it's just going to cause so much contention and then then what happens yeah and from the sounds of it 
they're not all asymptomatic carriers. You know, I saw the, I saw the video of to of, of uh, Nick Markakis coming out saying that he's opting out because he got on the phone with Freddie Freeman. He's like, yeah, I got on the phone with uh, Freddie, and uh, after hearing him, you know, he didn't he didn't sound so good. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm 36 years old. I got two two daughters, and I've been away with with the major leagues for 11 years. And you know, after talking to Freddie, I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm going to take a chance with this. There's no way to know how it's going to affect anybody. And I, I think it's bad to portray it like, yes, typically younger people doesn't hit them as hard, but there's outliers everywhere and there's no way to know. And I don't think it's like a matter of like, well, I'm extremely healthy, so I should be fine. Maybe you will be, probably you will be, but these guys have to consider that every day and that the mental stress that they're being put under now and the paranoia that is developing is not going to make for an enjoyable season for them and therefore probably not for us. Yeah. And you know, for every 10 guys that are paranoid and want to follow the rules, there's two idiots that are just don't give a shit on the team and are oh, yeah. fucking around, want to go out and want to not wear the masks and are just getting In the history of nerves. time... In the history of time, it's been impossible to get everybody on the same page. Like, there's just no way. There's always going to be people who don't take something seriously or just make a bad decision or are careless, whatever. Yep. And especially when you're young millionaires, there's probably going to be more than one of you. And it's worse for the Jays now, too, because they don't just have to deal with the major leagues and deal with a government that doesn't give a fuck or a president that doesn't believe in the pandemic. We have our Canadian government being like, uh, we agreed to let these guys come here. And then we're finding out that some of the guys only got tested once and they were supposed to have been tested three times before they came to Canada. And so then there's 12 people, apparently, we don't even know who they are that weren't able to come from Dunedin or with, with the one person who tested positive. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's so weird because there's been nothing but time. There's been nothing but time to prepare and to, could you imagine if the season had started back when they were uh, the proposal for 112 games, like months ago, they've had all this time to prepare. Maybe, you know, they put off the preparation until a deal was signed, but my God, you have to have people working under the scene to try to figure out how this is going to work. Cause it's a fucking disaster. And major league baseball is blaming it on their shipping and their delivery of the tests and all that. You chose this company. You chose the one company that's going to deal with it. And surprise, surprise, they can't handle it. Idiots. So frustrating because if this is just like tickling our balls and like trying to get us excited that a season's going to start and then it doesn't happen, it's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. And you can't help but think that it's all part of a conspiracy that they, the, the owners don't want this season to happen at all, but they don't want to be blamed for it. So they can use all of these little like bureaucracy things and things not working yeah. and tests happening. Maybe Sorry. it's like a, maybe it's like a scapegoat company that they've hired. That's just going to take some of the PR hit for this and the ownership can blame it on them so that they don't have a season. All I know is I got a fantasy pool draft on Sunday and I don't like, I don't even care about it. I can't even like, I can't even get into it because it just says, oh, who are you going to draft? Are you going to draft players that then opt out? Then what do you do? Right. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so season's supposed to, supposedly starting on the 23rd, 24th, 
I was doing a little looking at the schedule, and I think I may have found something here, a little bit of an advantage. And the Dodgers, okay, so opening day, the 23rd, there's only two games being played, Yankees-Nationals, Dodgers-Giants. Now, the next day, Dodgers-Giants play again, Yankees and Nationals don't in their series. And I was thinking, if so they're playing 60 games in 66 days, and the majority of the league has day one off. So that's their first off day, is day one. So that doesn't even really count as an off day. So I was thinking, yeah. the Dodgers kind of getting this potentially major advantage by having a game on the first day and the second day, so that their first off day is after they've been playing games. Yankees, Nationals, slightly less of an advantage because at least they're they're not playing the second day, so their first day off is day two. But I don't know. Is, is, that, is there something there? What do you think about that? I mean, there's definitely something there because it's it's like you're you're able to shift two off days into the bulk of your season. And I don't think it's a random thing that the teams that are playing on that day are just, you know, the most popular teams in the sport. And obviously, you know, U.S. coverage and stuff of the Jays and articles. Like, how many articles have I read uh, about, you know, these are the teams to watch. These are the teams that have the toughest schedule. These are the easiest schedule. These are the teams to look for. These are the exciting players, blah, 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 blah. No fucking Blue Jays ever. The U.S. coverage of the Blue Jays is fucking horrendous. And then, so then you look for Sportsnet, but that's just such biased coverage themselves. So it's just hard to find interesting stuff on the Blue Jays. But I definitely think you're right that there is an advantage to starting off the season with uh, playing on the first two games, first yeah. two days. And and the big one of, yeah, of that, of that Dodgers-Giants and potentially the Dodgers being the favorites just helps them even more. But uh, what you're saying about the Blue Jays is totally accurate. And it's almost like one might even describe them as being underdogs <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow folks <laughs> have a happy tuesday uh there was there is another blue jay story i wanted to talk to you about and a little thing i've been theorizing about since last night so uh, there was a story on sportsnet speaking of sportsnet um where they're talking about how ross atkins and the blue jays can try and plan to use some of the pitchers. And Ross Atkins is saying, quote, we have, to, we have the pieces to be very flexible. One of the things we'll have to think about most might be thinking about some, some of our starting pitchers in relief roles. So then this article assumes that the pitchers to get those chances are going to be Thomas Hatch, Patrick Murphy, and Julian Merriweather. And I'm wondering if those guys are going to be at a disservice by being used as relievers, or can it be any worse than being used as a backup to the backup, being stretched out potentially a year of nothing? And for them, I mean, what if they seem great as relievers? Are they then likely relegated to that until next year where they try and stretch out again and potentially get all jacked up from doing that. Maybe it's going to really mess with, with those guys whose main problems is their main issue was that they were just further behind the guys like Waggisback, Barucky, Anthony Kay. And 
what if what if Patrick Murphy or Julian Merriweather would have potentially been a better starting pitcher, but because of this season, they ended up as relievers for the rest of their careers. Or, I don't know, it just seems like a really tough situation for both the club to manage and then those pitchers who are like, so either I don't play this season at all and I keep having to work and stay stretched out and potentially never get in, or I guess I become a reliever and hopefully I can... I can bring myself back. And then I started thinking I started thinking about <clears throat> again, this is this is this is optimistic Jacob, the 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 GM from home who starts thinking about ways that we could use the pitchers and I'm like what if we just removed the delineation of starting pitcher and relief pitcher and we have a buy-in from all of these guys for this one season that we can take advantage of guys who are starting pitchers that we can just put in later in the game and we start we start just having a rotation of just whoever's turn it is and so say say uh, Hunjin Ryu goes in he does 6 innings and then next up we've got Julian Merriweather and he goes the rest of the game or he goes until Ken Giles and it's not just relief because he's pitching the amount of innings that he would as a starter and we just keep these blocks of starting pitchers being used at not the start of a game, so it's a bit of a change, but at least they're still using a bunch of innings. Is that, I don't know, it could be a, like if everyone is a long guy, but we're not thinking of long guys as being worse. I think I think a few things about that. I think just quickly, I need to see Julian Merriweather fucking soon because we've been hearing about this dude since the Donaldson trade and it's been like a used car salesman like, hey, don't worry guys, he throws 100. He's just, he's not ready yet. He's not ready but he throws 100 and we're like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cheap. Throws 100. Uh." And we just haven't seen him. But secondly, I don't think uh, whatever it's going to be, like four months of somebody's life ruins them forever. And if it does, you probably aren't uh, going to make it in the big league. Ah, it would have all worked out perfectly for me had it not been for 2020 when I became a relief pitcher. I think you can bounce back from that. And I think that if somebody like use Merriweather as an example, say they start using him in a, in a relief role and he starts to shine, well, then maybe they something happens to a pitcher. They start giving him starts. Like I feel like things work out the way that they're supposed to in that regard. And I don't think like it, there's no even in a shortened season, sixty games, someone's getting hurt, someone's going down, yeah, and sure. probably multiple people just dropping like guess who flaps probably three weeks into the season. And I think that people will rise to the top or they'll get lost in the mix. And I think that that's all part of the process. I don't think that. Uh, there's going to be any should-haves or could-haves involved in it. I think you will find the place in the big leagues that you'll find because not every um, potential starter becomes a starter anyway. And if you do, you got to prove that you can. No, for sure. And what what, what do you think about this idea of uh, like a ten-man rotation? But you're not you're not starting everyone at the beginning of the game, but everyone is stretched out. You're just you're basically just pitching a dude until he. He starts being bad, you know? I think that in theory, like if it was like if you were playing a video game and you set up something like that, it would be awesome. The only thing that I would wonder is where egos come into play in that and where star power and veterans come into play when you try to change their rhythm and their routine like that and just start using people like chess pieces. But I think in theory, it's 
a really cool idea. If you could get everybody on board and everybody was like, yeah, let's do that. I would be super interested in, in seeing that. I think it would be a really kind of creative way to see it, uh, function, but there's just no way that you're going to have 10 even average starting pitchers. Like someone's going to be trash and someone's going to be better than you think. And someone else is going to be trash. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think you can still sort of manage egos because you're going to be using the younger guys or the less veteran guys as the so-called relievers, the guy who's going to come in in the fifth or sixth if, if the starter needs to be taken out at that time. You know, you're going to bring in your Anthony K. these guys who were projected to be the AAA rotation. They're going to come in for the second half of the game, but we're going to try and use only two or three pitchers a game. That would be, that would be my goal. I think three there's pitchers. a part of this. Yeah, there's a part of this season that's like a tryout. Whereas, you know, it, it should be about winning and most seasons are all about winning or development or trying to manage both. But I think that there, it's almost like a prolonged spring training that has more uh, value. So I think if you've got a lot of question marks on players that you want to get answered, throw them out there. That's why I want them to bring Austin Martin up. I want to see him play. I don't want to waste them on the shelf. I know he's only 21. I know he's never played in the big leagues or triple a or double a whatever but who cares can he how much i want to see i want to i want to spend a day with austin martin and with Derek fisher and i want to be convinced by even in two hours if someone if i can spend some time with someone in the blue jays organization and we can watch them playing together, doing a little workout. If they can convince me somehow that Derek Fisher is better than Austin Martin, then maybe I'll concede. Derek Fisher is one of those guys that hides the fact that he knows he has COVID, but he just is so desperate to make the team, so he keeps it to himself, and he infects the entire team. And you're like, fuck you, Derek Fisher. <laughs> Go and take a fly ball off the chops. Um, we shall see. Yeah, we, we shall see. Um Another day, another, another day hurtling towards this uh, season supposedly starting. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all counting down the days. We're all, we're all excited, but you could just feel this pessimism, this sense of doom spiraling towards us. Oh, the world's tensed right now, and you know, baseball players are no different. Well, I'm tense. You're tense. Everybody's tense. You're dreading going to the dentist. I'm dreading serving tables. These players are dreading showing up to their job. Everyone, there's a bit of dread in everybody's life, regardless of your uh, financial state. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, uh, on a sense of dread, uh, <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow.